I mean, it sucked. It's, but. Yeah, but it's kind of a good business move. I mean, you just sort of you preempted everything. You kind of came in and you you know you saw the signs, so you worked you worked with it. You know, exactly, exactly. And it wasn't it's a it's an easier move to make here in Massachusetts than it might be in Louisiana or I know definitely at our Florida facility because yeah, uh, the political climate is such that up here people are definitely in the like better safe than sorry mindset. Yeah. Whereas down at our Florida facility, it's like, hey, you better not come to wear a mask or you're infringing yeah. upon my constitutional rights. Sure, sure. So it's just, I mean, it might as well be different planets. That's funny, though, that you have to you have to deal with kind of both ends of the spectrum with your, your facilities, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure the rules change a little bit then, or do you keep them kind of consistent regardless of where it is? Uh, rules are very different culture community we try and keep pretty consistent i mean you can't yeah. you can't spam culture over multiple facilities but you can put the same variables in place so mm -hmm. as far as like equipment selection and training environment and programming approach and templates and stuff like that yeah it, they're interchangeable but when you start getting into local politics they are night and day <laughs> that's funny that's that's an interesting duality you got to keep up but you guys focus more on uh you you kind of tailor it to baseball players correct you guys are you guys are very much in the baseball community with your training protocols yes oh yeah we're about 85 percent baseball players up nice. here in massachusetts and i think that number is even higher down in florida um yeah it's it's definitely what we're known for but it doesn't keep us from helping people from other walks of life. It's just the mm -hmm. the path we've chosen chosen to chase sure. from a like a social media strategy standpoint and maybe a continuing education standpoint, things like that. So it's it's definitely the angle we've decided to be known for. Yeah. But it isn't like singularly what our skill set allows for. I mean, we can we can help athletes from every athletic population. We know more than enough to be dangerous across the board. Sure. But if you had to ask us what we want to be known for, we want to be known as the baseball guys. Well, that's kind of cool. I mean, it's 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 nice to talk to somebody who's doing something different like that. I mean, you kind of everybody's got training facilities and and majority that it's the same thing a lot of powerlifting gyms a lot of you know general population gyms and that kind of thing and it's cool to see something that really hammers down on the the, the baseball training and kind of decides you work with that space you know and you kind of innovate within that yeah so, i think there aren't enough gym owners that get specific about like who do we want to be what do we want to stand for and how do we want the community to kind of perceive it yeah because everybody's so so content to be you know the best generalist in town wide reach and and exactly and that can work but a mile wide and an inch deep yeah doesn't fund my retirement <laughs> so it's, it's i want to yeah. yeah it's an interesting dynamic but i mean look we are i think we oversell the baseball piece with mm. with great intent and uh, the reality is that what we're putting out, it has a baseball flavor to it as yeah. far as programming in the gym, but it is not like this is the baseball program. It's really <laughs> just, here's your program. Uh, knowing that you're a baseball player, there are certain things that we need to be concerned about. Sure. Certain injuries you're particularly susceptible to, certain uh, kind of preventative exercise or corrective exercise that we need to make sure that is considered for your program just because of the nature of the sport you play. But the reality is we're just trying to make you a better athlete who's That's less likely to get hurt. And so it's um it's a misconception that I've I've definitely admittedly enabled. You know, I I'm not afraid of having a parent think like we're handing out we're handing out the like the person standing in front of us program mm -hmm. based on what we see in their screening process. Yeah, that's true and and I think that's that's mainly how 
all programs go. But I, but I like what you said about the um, with, with the business mindset. I know you coach. You're big into coaching business owners, and and you know with with finding a specific niche do you, niche whatever however it's called. But um, with that, do you think that's kind of the cornerstone with anybody trying to build their own business, especially like opening up a facility? They have to they have to prioritize prioritize the people they're reaching out to. Um, so and I also say niche. So, okay, good. Uh, I, I really, picture. yeah, it's funny. That caught me up right there. I was like, I've been saying niche forever. And then I just went niche. Like, <laughs> so. No, I, I find that the, I, when I speak with people like in other countries, or if I speak with people in like the UK, yeah, they're always very quick to <laughs> correct me it. on my pronunciation. That so, must feel nice. <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is. But, um, You're like, thanks. Appreciate I think that. that <laughs> I, I think that the need to declare a niche early is way overblown because I think that you need to earn the right to capture a specific market segment. Okay. And, and I don't, I don't love the idea of just, you know, let's say you've got the, the dartboard with a bunch of different underserved populations on there and you just throw it and you say, okay, well that one doesn't seem to have been grabbed yet. Let's go oh, declare that we are like the ballet strength and conditioning gurus. <laughs> like I, it just, it's not that easy. I think that the market kind of tells you what your skill set is based on performance. I mean, hmm. when you start to you open a gym, I think it is a good idea to be a world class generalist or aspire to get there so that you can you can serve as many people as possible, but then start to identify trends in the people who are walking through your space. And this doesn't need to take a long time. I mean, in our business, it was five, six months before we realized, hey, this is this is who we are. Baseball is what's filling, you know, filling up our, our gym. It's what's paying our bills. Let's double down on it. But uh, I think that we we waited and let the kind of market forces tell us what we were going to be known for. And, and if you're able to identify some very basic trends in your own operation early, assuming that you're good at kind of building out just a general flow of foot traffic, mm -hmm. then you can spot it. And you can say, you know what? I think this is me. I think that this is this is what my reputation has become. I think I understand why. Sure. Now, how am I going to attack it with a little bit more intent, and possibly consider declaring yourself that person? But when it's someone who just comes out of the gate, they're like fresh out of grad school, and maybe they got a couple online clients, and they say, you know, I am the I don't know the Navy SEAL training prep specialist for <laughs> anyone who thinks that they're going to go out and do you know. Oh, hell week or whatever it is yeah. that those guys are doing like the person who hasn't worked with those athletes and earned the right to make that declaration sure is gonna falter i mean they can anyone can say anything they want but the question becomes are they filling a gym or not and wow that's we, true we took a we took a, a very um structured and kind of slow moving approach to deciding whether or not we want to be known for one specific thing mm -hmm. but once we saw it we ran with it it wasn't, it, we didn't hesitate. It just said, who's the, who are the baseball guys? Yeah, there's not really anyone doing it. We know who's doing it in other sports. We know who the football guys are, the NFL combine prep or people who are training basketball players. But at the time in 2007, mm -hmm. there wasn't really a gym that had, had like raised their baseball training flag no. and said, this is us. So we decided to do it and it worked for us. Yeah, you guys came in uh, at the right place at the right time. I mean, there's only one gym here that I know of that, specializes in you know baseball players but it's not even it's not to the level of Cressy it's it's 
you know, it's a little, it's some batting ranges, just some small little things, not even like not a performance based gym, you know, that, that caters to all this. So no, I mean, still, even today, I don't, I don't think it's something people see around. I really don't. I still think it's, it's, you guys are filling that area pretty damn well. So yeah, I we're trying that. to, that's for sure. And it, the other thing is that I think it's a little short-sighted for us all to get so caught up in the idea that only one operation or two or three can can own a space in the market. Yeah. Because there's just so many baseball players out there, That's even true. right at the professional level. Like there's, I don't even know. I, I, I'm not even going to try and run the basic <laughs> math, but I know that there are thousands <laughs> upon thousands of guys who identify as professional baseball players. Sure. And they're just, <laughs> there aren't a thousand baseball specific gyms on this continent. So it's true. It's just a little crazy to me mm-hmm. that people think like oh you know it's too saturated Cressy's already there grabbing too much of it that's true. I, I think that's nonsense i mean if you came if you came in and you were like i want to be the biggest name in big league gyms across the country and i want to do it in the next 18 months i'd say hey kick yeah. rocks yeah i, I was about to say pull that off. it took yeah. us 14 years to get there change your but, mindset yeah <laughs> but if you're willing to come in and say you know what i want to train 12 to 22 year olds from a 25 mile radius in my state who happen to play the sport of baseball. Uh, so long as you don't set up shop, like in the immediate geographic footprint of an established operation, mm. uh, any, anyone who's reasonably competent can do that and make an impact because it's, it's a pretty common sport. <laughs> America's pastime. It might not be what it once was, but it's, it's still a, a big one and you know my kid starts little league tomorrow for the first time in his no life. Way. That's i could awesome. be a target market in that sense That's so cool. and so it's uh it's a it it continues to be an underserved population no matter how hard we've worked at it yeah but you get you know you guys definitely have the the majority share of that of that market i feel like it would be funny though if some other gym opened up that specialized in baseball like right down the street from you guys that'd be kind of funny and just like oh we got this new guy here so you guys start like competing you know competing against each other so well we see it on micro levels yeah um one of the things like one of the decisions we made really really early on was that uh, we identified the fact that the club baseball scene like this college development or the summer travel type teams we realized that it was an extremely toxic environment it was um it is a market where it's it's constantly ripe for disruption so basically like if you run what somebody declares the best club team in your area you are never safe from the fact that the you know a coach on your team or in your program could become friends with the wealthiest dad on the team and take some cash from him and start an immediate competitor for you you know they Anybody with the ability to buy a set of uniforms and rent some fields mm-hmm. can declare themselves a club program owner now. And when we started, I could name, there were like three programs yeah. back in 2007, 2008 that were impactful, meaningful in our area. I knew who they were. I knew who the owners were. I knew kind of what their their branding and business development strategy was. And they were each pretty different. Sure. But I realized they all hated each other like relentlessly talking shit about each other. Okay. Um, they were typically a product of a spinoff. It was always like somebody who felt like they'd been done wrong by an old program and went and did their own thing <laughs> they and did, took they did some me money wrong. from a, exactly yeah. across the board. And 
So that wasn't hard to see. And what we realized was we can't afford to specifically align ourselves with any single program. Like we need to be neutral. We need to be Switzerland. We, True. We just can, we cannot take the risk of partnering with one exclusively because we can't control the dynamics of how they handle themselves in the market. Mm. And so the reason I bring this up is because the new thing that we're seeing is these club programs will get a little bit of money. They might get a facility. They might have some space Yeah, and they'll throw a weight room in their space. Okay. I can, I'd say without this being hyperbole, we've had more than 50 times in the history of this business where Eric and I have deflected a request to put a satellite facility in someone else's business. And, and to the point where I sent that email 12 hours ago, like before I went to bed last night, I I sent a thanks, but no thanks email to a company in, you know, in our immediate vicinity. Um, And what happens is like, yeah, if we don't bite on it, somebody will. And there's, there's constantly these either, individuals who are coming into these operations and trying to set up their own strength and conditioning program in their, like on their premises and working with their players. Yeah. So that could kind of be a threat. And then occasionally there are businesses that we compete with who will take the bait and be like, Oh, how cool does it sound to have a second facility? Mm. Let's do that. Let's be a satellite facility. And maybe they're stretching their resources a little bit thin, or maybe they are, I, I don't know what their intent is, but I do know that what happens when they do that, um, I get calls from the owners of the other programs and they say, look, it didn't like, I, I didn't really take issue with any of like these gym owners, but I don't like the guy that they partner with. And I can't afford for them to treat their gym now as like a recruiting grounds for one of my biggest competitors. So I won't tell my athletes who they should train with, but I will tell them who they shouldn't train with. And it makes you realize that it's a short-sighted move to partner with somebody, um, you know, with a specific program owner, because you just don't really understand the dynamics of all of the relationships they have in the industry or the bridges they've burned, and you become an extension of their bad habits. And so I, honestly, I don't say it publicly, but I I love it when they do this, because I see it as a mistake. It's a strategic error, because I'm ready to, you know, talk to the the 15 other program owners when it happens being like, Hey, I can understand why that's a conflict of interest. Totally get it. Why that's a little off putting to you. Um, I'd love to help your guys out, but I'm going to tell you right out of the gate. I'm not hanging your flag on the wall. I'm not putting your Jersey up. I'm not going to declare us to be the exclusive training facility for your gym or for your, your club team. And it is nothing. It has nothing to do with who I think you are, what I think your program is. It has everything to do with the fact that we want to help as many kids as possible stay healthy, get more athletic, put themselves in a position to go to college and play ball, maybe play some professional baseball. And we hinder our ability to do that by partnering with any one of you exclusively. And they all get it, every one of them, especially because the impetus for that conversation is usually them coming to me and saying, hey, so-and-so just partnered with this business. I don't trust them now. And so we have been the neutral Switzerland of baseball strength and conditioning in New England for almost 14 years now. And we're, we're going to continue that until the day that we cease to operate. So you'll never see me have a satellite facility in a specific club program space. I like ever. that. Yeah. I mean, you're right. You, you bite, you bite off and you, you take hold of their relationships with other people. And so it's, it's, it's a detriment to your business and your reputation. And I understand that. Do you think that's, 
the same thing that applies to any other business looking to, you know, be specific, but at the same time, stay neutral, like they have to avoid toxic relationships like that, that could potentially, you know, skew them to one one side that they don't want to be on. Absolutely. I think that there is a um, an underappreciated vetting component yeah. of, of these business partnerships. And so let's look at something like bringing a manual therapist in-house or partnering with a physical therapy clinic or anything. You bring an independent contractor into your space, you are bringing their skeletons into your own closet. And so it's, it's just so easy to be enamored with um, an existing client roster or maybe a rent check or something like that. But if you haven't truly done your due diligence, like really asked around, figured out if those people have enemies in the field, Sure. which unfortunately in this fitness space, a lot of people have no problem with leaving a trail of enemies in their path. Yeah. yeah. Um, you just can't, we work too hard to create brand equity, to just give it all away by, by establishing a short-sighted partnership. So that's kind of the way that I look at it. Um, and I'm absolutely certain a lot of people disagree with me, but I'm going to do it my way. They're going to do it theirs. That's true. Yeah. And, and wh where do you look? Do you guys uh, plan on opening up other facilities in the near future? Or are you guys sticking with the two you got? Um, I don't know. We loosely have that conversation periodically. <laughs> uh, but I think that the reality is We've learned since opening a second, and the, the second is immensely successful. It, it's it awesome. Outperforms the Massachusetts facility now because of all the men, amenities down there and the yeah, profile I mean, of the athletes. Picked but a good location. The, what we've learned is that um, one plus one does not equal two okay. when it comes to headaches and the exhaustion associated with business ownership. So this wasn't just like, hey, double the workload, uh -huh. just, you know, and scale our systems. It, it feels like we run like seven facilities and we only have two. So if we are going, if we are going to expand and have more gyms, sure. I'm not interested in going from two to three. I'm interested in going from two to 20 or two to 40 or two to 50. Mm. So the next move, if we decided to go that path would be like a licensing or franchising type model where we let our brand start to scale and take over like we identify markets in, in the united states that are underserved and then issue like an exclusive to somebody who takes over that that you know that brand that footprint geographically so that they're not competing with themselves hmm. and so that is something i would entertain the idea of like hey you know something that operates under the csp umbrella sure like a a, a like a powered by csp concept type deal like same programming philosophy same internship education approach same you know just just the same basics same foundational things yeah but um very much seen as a franchisee as opposed to just like a an equal lateral move from massachusetts or florida um, yeah and again this is all purely hypothetical like this is eric and i aren't even we're not even one half of one percent of the way toward pursuing something like that mm -hmm. that's just kind of where we both have have gone when we're doing like the pie in the sky conversations like what could this place be someday sure that's that's a type of conversation we have but i i don't know that we're necessarily looking to take on <laughs> that scale of headaches either we have a pretty good thing going we've each got young families he's got three kids i've got two sure and he's got 
you know, he's basically got four businesses. If you think of it as his Massachusetts, Florida facility, his role with the Yankees, and then his own personal brand, Cressy Training Systems. That's right. Uh, it's just there are only so many hours in the day. <laughs> I so know. I adding I don't these, know how you do it. Yeah, it's it's a it is a kind of a heavy and intimidating idea to add another one at this point. So who yeah. knows? It's, well, it's a really long answer that probably should have just been nah, Ian, we're sticking with <laughs> <laughs> No, but I, I get what you're saying though. Ideally you want to be the the Cressy umbrella. You know, you want you want to turn your your thing into an umbrella, which everything else kind of just trickles under, you know, or falls down to. And you know, how do you deal with the stress though? Personally, like what do you, what do you do to deal with this stress? Because it's a lot. It's a lot on your shoulders. Um, I don't know. That's Meditate. a hard question to answer in times of COVID. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, I thought I was stressed up until what, 14 months ago. Yeah. And then I figured out what stress was, you know, oh, then sure. I, then I had to be a kindergarten teacher while also a person who's trying to keep the payroll faucet running without revenue. And, oh my gosh, man. you know, that, oh my that gosh. was stress that I didn't understand, but in, in normal times, day-to-day stress, I find that the the best way for me to manage stress is to not take work home with me. And so when I'm at work, I'm at work. When I'm okay. at home, I'm in the backyard slinging a football around with my kids. And I, I, I do turn it off mentally. Okay. And so the best way for me to process my stress is to be accepting of stress while in the workplace and, and completely intolerant of it when I am offsite <laughs> and, and that's what works for me yeah. but we all have different approaches and it's um you know i, I couldn't that isn't how i started the business sure. and i will never advocate to an entrepreneur like hey don't just disregard everything once you drive out of the parking lot <laughs> uh, we worked six seven days a week for years on end yeah to build it to a point where it was sustainable but at some point, you have to assume that a decade and a half in, we've created some sort of systems that allow me to make that declaration and say, this is, you know, my personal life's my personal life, my work life's my work life. Let's not blur the lines. Um, sure. That that didn't happen until I started having kids. That was 2014, my first, my oldest son was born. Oh, nice. So for seven years, we busted our asses to, to earn that right. To build that and, right. Uh, we've kind of incrementally grown into that new lifestyle sense. And now I've got two little boys. And to me, I think when I always think about like, what's my career goal, maybe for the next 10 years, it is to make sure that I don't miss like a, a, like a freshman or JV soccer game, varsity soccer game that my kid's playing in. Like that, that there isn't a conversation where I have to ask somebody's permission to make sure I'm there when they blow the whistle to start that up. Like to me, Mm my biggest priority is to be present in my kids lives and and it, you know my wife has a much more like corporate in nature job like she works in the tech industry she is oh wow it is a nine it's a nine to five and then some yeah and so a lot of the um a lot of the flexibility that being an entrepreneur affords me is is hard to quantify like sure. it, it's it's, it's hard to say like, this is on paper, what the value is to having that type of flexibility. But the reality is like when, when COVID hit and we had to shut our gym down, mm-hmm. I was full-time dad, you know, and, and my wife was, you know, paying the health insurance and collecting paychecks and, yeah. and she was downstairs working in the home office while I was, I was taking the kids for walks and running a curriculum and, and that, that was stuff that I could do 
because of the situation we have in place here. And cause I had great employees who were ready to take the ball and run with it from a, like an online training standpoint and sure. a content creation and just keeping us afloat until we were allowed to reopen and stuff like that. That wouldn't have happened if I was in corporate, like my wife and I would have been negotiating who's who is on school duty until noon and then working from like, you know, and, oh, and then, gosh. you know, into the, into the home office for the afternoon. And yeah. then both of us work at night until we fall asleep. Like that's how <laughs> it would have gone. But thankfully it didn't have to. In fact, during the lockdown, the, the deal we had in place was that like, I, I basically am, I delegated yeah. almost my whole role to my employees since we were going to keep them on and not furlough anybody. I, I outlined everything I do. Yeah. And, and I was like, you guys do this now chop up the pie, say you're each going to pick up these responsibilities and going to report back. And then the agreement my wife and I had in place was basically, I think it was Tuesdays. On Tuesdays, she'd get off the clock by four. Okay. And I would get in the car and I would drive to CSP and I'd sit in my office and I would work from like four till about midnight Whoa. every Tuesday. It might be doing consulting calls with clients. It might be recording podcasts. It might be giving lectures because everybody was doing online seminars. Sure. Back, like at the peak of this. And it might be writing. It might be just, you know, reconciling all of our numbers that the team had been pulling together from, you know, mm -hmm. selling and writing programs and stuff. But my work week was condensed into like an eight hour window every Tuesday night. And it was unacceptable not to be uber productive during that time. Yeah. And in the moment, I remember it being stressful and frustrating, but looking back on it, I, in this really messed up way, I look back on this time last year fondly. There are times where I'm driving to work and I'm like, I wish I could be, you know, finishing up that schoolwork by one, one thirty, and yeah. then taking the boys out to the state park for a hike. Cause that was what my routine was. And that's awesome. In that moment, it was so, it was so frustrating because there was, there wasn't an end in sight. Sure. Like, there was no guarantee that we were going to get a payroll protection loan. There was no guarantee that we were going to be opening by the summer. There was no guarantee that clients were going to come back. So if I knew what I know now, like the sheer volume of people who came flooding back in once we reopened, I would have, I would have enjoyed every minute of it. I would have been eating it up. It was like a sabbatical, sure. <laughs> but in that moment, <laughs> It was an anxiety-filled sabbatical that we were just making the best of. But you know how hindsight is. You know we, yeah, we basically romanticized the past. Yeah, you see. And it, when I look back on it, yeah, yeah, I look back on last spring. I'm like, God, the the weather was great. Me and the boys went for a hike five to six days a week. Like that was amazing. Freaking I'd put awesome. on a, I'd bring my AirPods and I'd put on a podcast, and I'd walk twenty to thirty yards behind them in the woods and watch them just like pick up walking sticks and swing them at each other and climb trees and just like be kids. Yeah. And I just, I was just kind of like there enjoying watching yeah. them, enjoying the outdoors and having this strange, like six month period in my life where I could just watch my kids grow up. And so oh, wow. it is, uh, in hindsight, it was yeah. a good thing. Kind of hit me in the feels there, man. That's, that's very, yeah. Geez. As a, as a parent, I'm, I'm sure there's, there, there's merit to that you know it's it's funny <laughs> so yeah i didn't do a good job of appreciating it appreciating it in the moment though. <laughs> you know i'd come home sure. i'd come home and sit down for dinner with my wife and she'd be like how's the day and i'd be like it was a grind <laughs> she's like oh yeah it was tough playing wiffle ball with the kids for two hours and then you know taking them out to get an ice cream <laughs> like, like yes it, it was so hard i wish i could go to work <laughs> and oh, I so love that. 
Damn. I mean, wherever you go, there you are, right? I mean, work. Yeah. It, it, we're just going to find ways to be frustrated with our situation if we're not really deliberate about seeing the good in things. Sure. And I am as guilty as anybody at this. Like, it's it's so easy for me to point at last spring and be like, look at all the great things that came of this. Yeah. But in the moment, I was insufferable. <laughs> I was a yeah. grumpy, like, Oscar to grudge. Oh, but everybody was. It's, it's geez, uh, you know, I look back and it's it's the same thought. I don't even know. For for anybody, I know in Louisiana, it's it's funny because I, I know, shoot, there's so many small businesses in, like, the Mandeville area. So once COVID hit, you know, all of them had to shut down. There's so many little nutrition stores and... It's crazy. So I don't, yeah, I, I can imagine they felt like you were going into it. They had to adapt, but looking back, it was a cool situation that, that allowed them to, you know, think on their toes, I guess, figure it out. Yeah. So. I don't want to do it again, but I like, uh, I've got a really cool kind of Google images photo album of it basically. And, That's... and, and I can relive the pandemic quarantine period <laughs> just by skimming, skimming what ended up being like hundreds of photos of the boys. Like there was a point that. when we realized that that COVID wasn't transmitting through surfaces and it's sure. like you don't need to, you know, sanitize your groceries every single time you get anything. When that stage passed, mm -hmm. uh, I started bringing my boys into the gym like almost every day because the gym was completely closed i'm yeah. paying rent on a fifteen thousand square foot space oh and it's God. like a big playground for the boys so my son colin learned how to ride a two-wheeler bike in the gym this time last year and wow. and it was the idea of like three o'clock in the afternoon which is like peak period for us high school kids are pouring out of school they're coming in the gym is slammed sure today I might walk out there and there might be 25 athletes all wandering around at three 30 and the place is like bumping. And if you go back exactly a year ago to the day you walk in, it's like, I've got two or three lights on and I've got two kids riding the gym. Like it's a racetrack, like <laughs> racing bikes down the turf and around the power racks and, and treating the place like it's their own little playground. Wow. In hindsight, it's crazy. Like it was, it was really cool to watch that, but yeah, it, it could never happen again. I know. <laughs> so, unless moment. I want to do it like on a Sunday afternoon when we're closed. <laughs> sure. No, that's I, I, shoot. That's that's so honorable. I, I and as far as your 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 grind goes up up until that point where you kind of made Cressy, you know, a, a, a household name. You know, do you feel as though any any aspiring entrepreneur is going to have to just sort of settle into the understanding that 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 consistent stress is always going to be there, and you're going to have to literally just just d deal with it maybe no sleep some nights you know up until that point where it six seven years or whatever it becomes something that works for itself well i don't want to presume to be to have figured out or have identified like the way that we all have to run a business mm -hmm. and come to the conclusion that there's no way of doing this without stress um but what i will tell you is that i think the cliche more money more problems is is a very real thing okay because look we are we are as profitable as we have ever been in the history of our business right now it's amazing. like we are we're 35 percent ahead of our best year ever here on april 9th hell yeah and and there's no reason that it's not gonna project to continue in that direction yeah and i am as stressed and frustrated with my <laughs> business as i have ever been <laughs> And yeah. I don't, I don't like have great reason for that. And this isn't me like bitching about work to you. And this is me just 
kind of trying to answer your question. No, that's um, good. I, I like hearing about the it. The better we do, the more fires there are to put out. <laughs> it's kind of the best way of putting this. Yeah. And I guess my message to entrepreneurs is this isn't, there isn't a finish line. Yeah. Like the, the finish line is, is like bankruptcy or death uh, or selling your operation, which <laughs> yeah. is great. Yeah. It's like, it's death <laughs> bankruptcy or, or taking a, like cashing it out. Yeah. And that's for varying degrees. And so once you start to realize that it doesn't ever end, you know, setting a record for me saying like, Hey, Q1, we, we did, who cares? Like a hundred thousand dollars more than we've ever done in Q1. Well, that doesn't change the fact that we go back to zero on day one of Q2. Mm -hmm. And and I immediately start stressing about hitting that number. And so if if you start to come to terms with that uh-huh. and you realize that the fun in, in small business ownership is the journey, it's not a destination, Yeah, then you'll do a lot better. And I so we, in our early stages, we had this mindset. It's like, what would what would make us happy gym owners? Is it that we need to make six figures? Fine. Like, all right, you get there and you realize like, nope, I'm still stressed. Actually, I'm more stressed. <laughs> and then it is, is it like you need to have X number of employees to make you feel legit? Okay. Well you get there and then you realize you're basically a one man HR team and you didn't yeah. get into this to be HR or is it because you need to have that second location? Well, once you do that, you realize that's obnoxious because now you got two landlords and landlords tend to suck. Yeah, I mean, it's, true. it's basically just this like wherever you go, there you are. So stop thinking about like end games mm-hmm. unless the end game is to sell. Like if you're building it to sell it and you're like, I'm going to build this up to something that I can sell for seven figures and then you actually find a buyer. Well, then great. <laughs> like, yeah, goal true. accomplished, I guess. But find me a gym owner who's doing that right now. I don't know any. Like maybe yeah, a, no. like a private equity firm that acquired a bunch of like Planet Fitnesses or something. But <laughs> in this private space, this this sector we're in, nobody's building it like they intend to sell it. No. But they're all living with a mindset that like there's some sort of finish line we're going to cross and they're going to discover happiness. And so the best advice I can give to a young gym owner mm-hmm. is is probably like, hey, look around at what's going on right now. This is the best part. That's awesome. It doesn't like you're going to get, you might get 10 years in and you might be doing a million dollars a year in revenue. You're going to say to yourself and mean it, I wish I could go back to year one when I made like 10 G's and I was up late stressing about this and I was coming here six to seven days a week because we had so much fun back then. And yeah, so it was creation. It, just, it was innovation. It was just, it was just, you know, throwing spaghetti against the wall, seeing if it stuck, huh? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So be, what, what's saying? Like, be where your feet are. Like, that's, just yeah, be yeah. present in the moment. Be present. Enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Aren't, aren't you glad you came on this podcast and all I did was remind you about your stress? I'm in the moment enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how's your stress now? What's your stress like back then? What would you tell people about stress? Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's just that it's always there. And if we think we, you know, we figure out like the magic recipe for running the stress-free business and yeah. then someone in our family gets sick or, or, you know, there's just, it is literally just life. <laughs> like, or you figure it out and you, you got the recipe and you're ready to basically settle down. And then a pandemic hits. Oh, I mean, God, it's just, yeah. it's there's true. so much that we can't control in and out of our business that mm-hmm. um, the idea of a stress-free life is comical to me. And the people the people in my life who are the most successful or even like, let's say my parents, like they're, they're 
happily retired. They yeah. have they have ex- <laughs> they have means. That's awesome. They have all the things they could possibly want. They're That's always awesome. stressed. <laughs> Every time I see them, it's yeah. what's wrong? Or they're they're angry about politics, or they're <laughs> they're stressed about COVID policy because they want to go out and enjoy their retirement. Like oh, it bet. is just. I bet. I mean, point me towards somebody who's truly stress free, and unless they're like a monk or something, yeah. I don't know what to tell you. I think what, they're lying. What uh, were your parents entrepreneurs as well? Um, kind of. Okay. Uh, my my. My family inherited a family business, so they That's were awesome. like a a third um, generation inheritance of oh, family cool. business, and so yeah. I was definitely raised exposed to small business ownership and family business, and kind of this mindset that like if something breaks in the middle of the night, the owner goes and fixes it. <laughs> it's kind of the way my yeah. family was in home heating oil and and commercial real estate so like apartment building rentals and and heating oil and it was um that's a grind it was basically like there they saw the writing on the wall in the 70s that that the home heating oil industry wasn't going to be like wildly uh successful in the coming years because there was just a certain amount of supply left and there were also all kinds of new technologies coming out that could be more affordable and more efficient and better for the environment and so they started investing in property and it was like oh if we can get five to ten percent of our revenue to come from this real estate then great it'll insulate us while the home heating oil industry dies well by the time my dad retired it was like 55 45 and in favor of the real estate mm-hmm. and so they had made a very intelligent move there acquiring a bunch of property in boston proper but um they still had all of the associated headaches it might be someone's oil burner goes out in the middle of the night on christmas eve oh, uh, that's that's like you're you're calling your right hand man or or worst case scenario you're going out and trying to address that yourself as the business owner and i watched that as a kid I saw that. I can remember my dad being like my on-call guy just got got into a fender bender. I have to go down to the building and fix a leaking pipe. And, yeah. And you're like, but dad, it's the Fourth of July. <laughs> like, what are you doing? And it it just it creates a a mindset that I think some entrepreneurs have and others don't. But I came into small business ownership thinking like, well, if it's got to get done, you don't just outsource everything. Like I know everybody says, you know, pay a specialist to do each thing. Your time's more valuable. Yeah. Well, I have reupholstered training tables. Yeah. I'm the one who rewires our functional trainer when the cable column gets broken and we need to put a replacement cable in. Sure. I'm the one on ladders replacing light bulbs and changing filters on heating units. Like, yeah, it's your baby. I don't know that everybody realizes that, that we're perceived to be this like mature gym that doesn't. You know, the owners don't do that stuff anymore, but that's mm-hmm. a bunch of bull. I mean, it is. I'm the one with the paint roller putting a fresh coat of white paint up <laughs> during the pandemic because it's yeah. got to get done. Got, so yeah, yeah. owners need to step in and do that stuff. So I guess um, the answer is, yeah, my family had an entrepreneurial background and I was exposed to things that I didn't even realize were changing uh, my relationship with work when I was a kid. Yeah. And it's definitely paid forward to me at this point. Yeah, it's beautiful, man. You, you have an incredible story. I'm telling you. Jeez, that's awesome. Well, I, look, I'm I'm telling you a story about someone who was born with a little bit of a silver spoon in his mouth. No, like I, mean, I said, same it, here. I it, I get it. <laughs> you know, I I totally understand. Jeez. So, but so yeah. I just want to make sure I'm not painting a picture that I like. 
I raised from like having nothing and no, and but we built this thing and look at how like this admirable thing. Like, no, my parents, they they signed us up for swim team at the country club we belong to. Yeah. And we went skiing on the weekends in the winter. So That's awesome. I I do remember where I came from mm-hmm. and and I'm appreciative that I had things that others didn't. And I think if there's one thing my parents did really well, they they churned out some kids who had some humility. Yeah. Um and and realized like we do have it good we are fortunate not just like we deserve this i think we came out of it out of their home not a bunch of uh, entitled brats and sure it's no it's, that's it's how, i think that's hard to do because i'm struggling without my boys right now we try and give them the world <laughs> yeah and they expect it now and so that's now true. we're in this i've got a four and a seven year old and <laughs> you're like shoot i can't tell you seriously my yeah. wife and i we i can't tell you how often we're saying to them you guys don't know how lucky you are like yeah. <laughs> Don't don't tell me that you deserve another Netflix show when we say it's time <laughs> to read a book. You you guys get everything in the world that you want. And so that's true. It's um I, I admire the work my parents did retroactively now that I'm a parent. And and that includes as a business owner too. I admire the work my dad did mm-hmm. as a kid and I had no appreciation for it when I was in it, like watching it around me. Sure. But now in hindsight, as as a business owner and a dad, I realize he he did a really nice job. That's awesome, man. I, I yeah. I...